0: You're listening to Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where mostly we talk about Oscars movies, but sometimes we take a break and talk about Marvel movies. Today is one of those times. Today we're going to be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. As of recording, the most recent Marvel movie, and as of the time you're listening to this, probably also, hopefully, still the most recent Marvel movie That has released. In comparison to our last two episodes, uh, which if you haven't heard them yet, were on Triangle of Sadness and All Quiet on the Western Front. Those were some of our shorter episodes. This one is much longer. We had an awful lot to say about Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, uh, and just the state of the Marvel Universe in general. I feel like Marvel movies, if you're talking about a Marvel movie, it always makes sense to talk a little bit about the universe itself with how much of a juggernaut that is, and we definitely did that. If you are avoiding Marvel spoilers, we do have a spoiler warning once we get into stuff that's not in the trailer. If uh, if you want to hard avoid going into this movie knowing anything, this is not the podcast for you. Please come back when you've seen it. But if you are worried about spoilers for anything outside of the trailer of this, we do have a spoiler warning once we get there. It's probably about an hour in, so you can still listen to most of the episode before that. All right. Anyway, that is basically all I want to say to get us into it. Let's listen to a little bit of the music from Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. This was composed by Christoph Beck, and this is a theme from Quantumania, which is from Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. So here it is. Listening to another episode of Heatwave Radio's Classic Movies Live. Pierre, did we talk about Thor: Love and Thunder? I can't remember.
1: I don't know actually. That's a good question because I was in the summer, right? But we.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: I don't know. I that movie's so forgettable that I don't know. Actually, no. I that's a lie. That movie is not forgettable. It's more like it was so painful to watch that I actually can't forget watching that movie.
0: I'm probably going to bring up Thor Love and Thunder a couple of times today. Uh, it is, yeah. I described Thor Love and Thunder over the weekend to some friends of mine as uh, sort of aggressively and actively bad, <laughs> uh, which does, in some ways, make it quite a bit different from the movie we're going to talk about today, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. But of course, the reason I asked that question, I, I want to internally keep track of how we're doing in the mcu like how how many movies we've talked about that have been in the mcu uh surprisingly not many but um still most of the recent ones i think
1: yeah like we talked about black panther
0: black panther
1: and, and probably definitely Thor, talked Thor, about and doctor definitely
0: strange. eternals and, and, and eternals, doctor yeah. strange
1: yeah yeah we're, there has been no shortage of marvel content lately
0: I don't think we did a full episode on Spider-Man, the last one, but, like, we talked about it extensively in that year's year-in-review episode, because oh, yeah. I remember yeah, it was on sure. both of our lists.
1: Yeah, um, and we haven't talked about the shows, I guess, but...
0: Oh, yeah, I remember, like, when the first Marvel shows came out, I remember, like... I can't remember if you had suggested it or if I suggested it first. It was like, do we want to do an episode on WandaVision? And then we revisited that question again behind the scenes after the show ended. And I was so (laughs) sad about it. I was like, actually, no, I really don't want to talk about the show anymore.
1: Yeah, it was. I think I mentioned it after like the first four or five episodes when I was really into it. And by the end of the show, that, that was not the case anymore, unfortunately. So.
0: It was such a shame cuz I was I had not been that hyped for anything in the MCU. Yeah. Uh, maybe ever until that point.
1: Yeah. So um so that and that was the start of phase 4 I guess. So now we're at the start of phase 5 and it's been about 2 years now I guess. Yeah, WandaVision came out in like January February uh 2021 I believe. So Was it 2021?
0: Yeah, I guess it was. Yeah.
1: yeah. So we're we're at a I mean, it it feels short, but I guess like Marvel's had Marvel's phases seem to be around three. I mean, Phase Two was three years, Phase Three was four years, and uh, this this one was two years, I guess. But I, a lot of people said it was rushed. I I think it wasn't so much of a rushed aspect. It was more like nothing really is. It's everything just feels very lost. Where I think in the first couple of phases it was all building kind of one general story and now there's mm-hmm. uh, they've called this the multiverse saga right but yeah. we've just kind of seen some glimpses of multiverse shenanigans happening but they aren't really connected to anything and then also mm-hmm. a lot of other stories that are being built simultaneously that we don't really know where those are going either like we have especially like with the addition of the tv shows like moon knight introducing the egyptian gods Uh, Miss Marvel introducing another dimension
0: and mutants kind of
1: yeah and kind of mutants Shang-Chi introducing another another dimension that we have to worry about and it's just Mm -hmm. like it's it's a lot to follow and I guess phase five seems to be kind of a with them starting with a Kang movie it seems like Marvel's trying to solidify the fact that this is this is the main villain and we're gonna be watching him going forward mostly
0: yeah and like I don't know. I don't understand what a Marvel phase is anymore, because back in the first three, it was like you'd get a bunch of solo movies and then you'd get a team up movie. And then you get a bunch of solo movies and then you'd get a team up movie. And in phase, I think, three, the one, whichever one it was that ended with Infinity War, it, they shook it up a little bit in that some of the movies during the solo phase were also team up movies. Kind of, because Captain America Civil War was kind of like Avengers 2.5. But like, it was always, you'd get all these movies and then you get an Avengers movie. And I understand why there was no movie labeled the Avengers in the last year or so. But like, what makes Phase 4, Phase 4? Because it was just, it was like a bunch of solo movies and then it ended on Black Panther, which like, cool. But again, it's a solo movie. Like, Black Panther was not a team-up movie between anyone. It was very much a personal family drama kind of movie of those characters.
1: Yeah, I I remember hearing rumors that there was gonna be like a Doctor Doom post-credit scene where we would find out that Doctor Doom was the one that started the or wanted to start a conflict between Atlantis or sorry, Talocon and Wakanda. But and that would have made sense because apparently it was uh, the post the second post credit scene, but there was no second post credit scene for Black Panther, 2. So I I feel like part of me is like they they took that out at the last second because it makes a lot of sense that that like it would have made more sense for that to be the end of Phase Four if they were introducing a large another large overarching overarching villain for the future. But yeah, like you said, like Phase Four, if you had to describe it it was just a rant, bunch of random stuff happening. I guess you could say it introduced a lot of new heroes.
0: I saw a thing on Twitter that like I kind of agreed with. Maybe it's very reductive to say it, but like after Avengers Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, a lot of stuff happens to the universe and like it's very jarring to this day like it would be weird if Marvel movies didn't acknowledge the fact that half the universe just disappeared for five years and like, didn't think anything had happened. It would be weird to not acknowledge that in current Marvel movies. So a very cool direction that Marvel could have gone after um, Endgame would be to explore like the actual effect that superheroes have on the world. Like, is it a net positive when this whole thing with Thanos happened and like, sure, heroes were there to solve it, but is it possible that it wouldn't have happened in the first place if these heroes weren't around and like exploring the, the relationship between heroes and everyday humans. But instead phase four immediately became the multiverse saga about how everything happens and nothing matters. Yeah. Which is, you know, it is a way to take (laughs) it. And it's a very comic booky way to like, it is a very comic book direction for these movies to go, but it's like, I don't know that it's the best one.
1: Yeah, and it introduces an issue of, well, first of all, why it's really tough to keep up with everything. And then second of all, it's just like, why if there's so much stuff, like it, everything just kind of dilutes and they stop really becoming events and they start becoming just rant. I mean, in, like in the comics, like for example, I never really got into comics because there was just so much history and so many different characters that it was just very overwhelming. And I think Mm -hmm. for some reason, Marvel took like probably their strongest, the strongest part of their cinematic universe and that it was all very interconnected and that each movie was like the next step of the saga. And they kind of took inspiration from comics now, which is that there's just a ton of stuff happening. And we don't really there's a bunch of climb like arcs that are going to reach various climaxes, I guess, over the course of this phase. From what I can tell.
0: Yeah. And like, that isn't an inherently bad way of storytelling. Part of the appeal of a really well done comic book universe, or like, I'm, I'm just going to say comic books during a run that's really, really good. Part of the appeal is that there's so many things happening, but that so many different arcs reach conclusions in different ways, despite a lot of the characters interacting through the same events. That is actually a strength of comic books when the story's done well. But like, it's not easy to pull off. And like most comics don't do it very well. It's very rare that you'll get, you know, a three year run of not just a Batman comic, but DC comics, period, that actually pulls it off. It happens, but it's very rare. And like, it sort of seems like Marvel is taking that element of comics, which is, Which makes it, which allows people to have, allows directors and writers to have a lot of, potentially a lot of freedom to do the cool stories they want to do. But then also trying to keep it interconnected is gonna, is like extremely hard to do well. And uh, I would say has not been really working very well so far.
1: Yeah, I I guess I wouldn't mind the disconnectedness if I was getting a lot of value from the stories themselves as like a mm-hmm. project in of its own and of their own and I haven't really been truly satisfied in any of phase four's standalone projects except for I'd say I'd say WandaVision well now looking back WandaVision was probably one of the better ones <laughs> despite the way it ended and I think I also really like Hawkeye and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier show, personally. Oh, and Spider-Man No Way Home, of course. I think everything else has mostly been like meh to me. To bad. To like straight up horrible, I guess. <laughs> meh to straight up horrible. I was
0: very I was a very big fan of She-Hulk and Miss Marvel. And otherwise, like I haven't outright hated any of the TV shows, but I would also put them as primarily meh to well, WandaVision was probably one of the stronger ones, but I it was just so disappointed by it that I have nothing but really bad memories of that show.
1: Yeah, that's fair. I, I, well, I think, obviously, I think you remember, like, the last acts the most. And I think a lot of these, I mean, it's, it's always been a Marvel th- problem, but the Phase face, the face four third acts have generally been pretty, probably the worst parts of a lot of the movies, too
0: shang chi versus a dragon comes yeah
1: to mind. <laughs> specific i mean yeah like that movie black widow like i thought black widow was pretty solid until that their third act too
0: it had a lot going for it i will say
1: yeah and now i guess this is the first we're kind of at the first ant-man movie in five years now which is kind of crazy mm-hmm. i don't know what were you excited for this to come out at first were you a big fan of ant-man
0: I'm not sure how to feel about Ant Man. Because when the first one was about to come out, like when the first one was announced, I was extremely excited for it. Because not only was Edgar Wright involved, but Edgar Wright had actually been. You can find interviews with Edgar Wright from well before he was approached by Marvel where he's like, I would really like to do like a superhero movie and make it about like Ant-Man or something. That would be really cool. And so it was kind of a passion project of Edgar Wright's even before he was contacted by Marvel. And then like Marvel got him to write it and direct it. But then at the last minute, Edgar Wright left due to creative differences. And Marvel brought in Adam McKay to do do script rewrites and Peyton Reed to direct. And like that first Ant-Man movie isn't awful, but the biggest thing that stands out to me about it is there's so many jokes that you can see that, probably looked great on the page, but just don't land. And it's specifically like, as I'm watching it, I'm like, you know what? I'll bet that Edgar Wright is one of those directors like Quentin Tarantino where he'll write his script and like, he writes his script in a way that anyone else can read it, but only he can really direct it and make it work the way he wants it to. And it sounds like they got his script and couldn't pull it off because they're not Edgar Wright. And like the first one wasn't awful, it was just sort of like disappointing. And then the second one I actually liked better because it felt more consistent, but it was overall a much weaker movie. I just thought like, I liked seeing Peyton Reed's vision be just Peyton Reed's vision. Even if I didn't think that vision was very good versus Peyton Reed trying to interpret someone like Edgar Wright's vision. And then uh, this is the second one that is just all Peyton Reed. Kind of. I guess it was written by one of the writers of Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, so Jeez. we'll talk about that. Is, that is I'm sure.
1: a shot if I've ever <laughs> But um.
0: this movie has one of the all-time worst trailers I've ever had to see 20 times before the movie came out. <laughs> like it was attached to every single movie and it's not a good trailer. It's an extremely bad trailer that makes the movie look horrible and look like Ant-Man lives in the mud dimension and i was like you know what i've seen bad trailers for good movies before i'm gonna go in with an open mind and hope that this is really good because it has jonathan majors in it who i really like and who i would like to see as kang and it did in fact have jonathan majors in it as kang
1: it did yeah and i i, I guess i was kind of excited for this i think ant-man's always been a hero that but he was very underrated. I loved how big of a role he ended up having in Endgame, and I loved his dynamic yes. with the team and stuff. And I thought that was really well done though. I think the biggest problem with Ant-Man though, in terms of why he hasn't really connected with the audiences as much as some of these other heroes is that he's never really had any type of character arc or like any, anyone in his, I guess hope kind of had a character arc in the first movie where She forgave her dad, but it wasn't really an arc. It was more like her dad told her what happened to her mom and then she forgave him and then they were kind of chill again. And then in the second movie, the second movie was just kind of a fun time. They're very low stakes. I actually I actually really enjoy the second movie uh, for what it is, but it it doesn't really add anything to the Fran. It didn't really add much. I like the dynamic between Ant-Man and the Wasp, I guess. But it was just kind of like it felt like a cookie cutter, like straightforward chill movie like I didn't hate it Mm -hmm. I wasn't in love with it but I I had a lot of fun watching it
0: you know as much as I'll be the first person to like criticize a lot of Marvel movies as very samey I think that the cookie cutter that Marvel has is a very good cookie cutter like Marvel movies could get really bad but if someone comes in and just makes a run-of-the-mill Marvel movie it's probably like a pretty solid 5 out of 10, which is not bad. It's just like, you know, you can go in, enjoy it, and it's it's fine. So, like, when a Marvel movie is run of the mill, that's actually better than bad.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I, it was, I thought it was pretty different from a lot of what we, we'd we seen. But so, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, then going into Ant-Man Mania, I thought this was, you know, as a start of Phase 5, it's introducing Kang. I thought it was a cool opportunity for Ant-Man to undergo a, an actual character arc, you know, uh, because we've lost a lot of the old heroes, he would be potentially a big face going forward. And mm-hmm. uh, this would, fi- you know, finally give us a reason to really love Scott Lang and not just, I, I mean, I just kind of see him as Paul Rudd in Marvel movies. Yeah. So, but yeah, like a real reason to love Scott Lang, the character, right? And I thought the trailer had a pretty good, gave the movie a pretty good premise where it seemed like he was making a deal with Kang because he had lost so much time with his daughter in terms of, you know, he, he was gone in the quantum realm for five years, so he missed out on her, like, her teenage years, and he was in jail for a lot of her, her childhood too. So mm-hmm. it would make sense that that's something that Scott really missed out on and he regrets, and Kang seems like the perfect villain to entice him with something like that. Mm -hmm. And we might, you know, we might see kind of a dark side to Scott or like kind of a gray area where he's not, he wants to spend more time with his daughter, but he'd have to work with Kang. And I love that idea, I guess. And uh, unfortunately, that is not what we ended up getting in, in the movie in any way, which I have to say, I'm very impressed that they were able to piece those elements together to make for the trailer to make the movie seem like it had a much better plot than it actually Mm -hmm. did
0: do you want to tell us the actual plot of this movie (laughs) god damn it i intercepted
1: the ant-man and the wasp quantum mania is about how i guess five no it's been two two or three years after endgame scott has written a book and he's kind of settled down he doesn't really seem to be a superhero anymore he's just kind of hanging out and enjoying life at the moment, but he's noticing his daughter, Cassie, who is now, I think she's like 18 now or something. I would assume so. You know, she's getting arrested for protesting and stuff like that. And he doesn't, he's kind of stressed about that, but all of a sudden she, for some reason she builds a quantum communication device to help people or something. (laughs) And then they get sucked into the quantum realm and they basically have to find a way to get out. But then they realize that Janet, who was saved in Ant-Man and the Wasp from the quantum realm has been hiding the fact that there's a whole civilization down there. And she has a very rich history with, or not a rich, she has a, she has a history with Kang the Conqueror who has made his home in the quantum realm for the moment. But he also He wants to get out and conquer, keep conquering. So this puts uh, the Ant family, I guess, in an awkward position where they want to get out, but also want to stop Kang from getting out of the quantum realm, I guess. Yes. Is the best way I can kind of describe it.
0: Yeah. First off, the movie wastes almost no time getting into the quantum realm. They're, like, talking at dinner, and then they go into the garage really quick and get sucked into space. It's very efficient. You know, when I saw it, I was like, you know, I would have maybe appreciated more buildup, but also I didn't want to sit through 20 more minutes of buildup. So, yeah, let's do it. Great. We're there. And then, like, as soon as they get into the Quantum Realm, they kind of split into, like, two teams and have almost... Like they, they do different things, but like not really. They neither team quite has like a full story. Scott and Cassie go and find some rebels, uh, that ask them how many holes they have in their body, and then <laughs> the rest of them go and find Bill Murray, who talks about uh sleeping with Janet. So yeah, you know aggr- he aggressively talks
1: about that for like his entire yeah. like conversation there. It was very weird to watch.
0: I I hate to say it, but like the humor in this movie is very uncomfortable. Like I wasn't like really irked necessarily. It's not like extremely cringeworthy or anything, but just like I don't I don't know. Ant Man one and two like your your mileage may vary. How how funny you found those, but like they're they're much more comedy movies than the rest of the movie than the rest of the Marvel movies are. And, like, it's intentional. And the jokes are, like, they're they're decent, usually. The humor is the focus. Like, if the humor doesn't work, then the movie doesn't work. And I found that in this movie, like, nine times out of ten, the humor just did not work. It wasn't, like, aggressively unfunny the way that Thor Love and Thunder's goats were. But, like, it just, it was so weird. Like, a lot of the jokes were just, like, I don't know. A a lot of the jokes were like, PG-13 sexual jokes. And then like the person who should be funny, Paul Rudd, through most of the movie is just taking himself really seriously. Like he gets a couple of jokes in every now and then and he's Paul Rudd. So he delivers them well. But like, a lot of the movie he's scowling and going, I need to save my daughter, which just like, I get it for Ant Man, but it doesn't really like I get it for the story that they want, the character arc they want for Ant Man, but it never feels like it. It feels unearned, and because it feels unearned, it also doesn't feel like it's anywhere. Like it doesn't feel like his character beforehand, and it doesn't feel earned enough to like count as a character arc in this movie.
1: Yeah, I, well, Scott. I mean one one of the best parts about scott is that he he does have such a a loving relationship he's like he seems like the the best parent of of the avengers i guess other than going to jail and stuff
0: well at at the very least he's got the best parental intentions like he wants to be a good parent and he he is when he can be
1: yeah uh so that's like a, a big part of you know the heart of his character and it just i think a a big problem this movie had was that Catherine Newton as Scott's daughter just wasn't it. Like, I think she was, she acted really poorly in this. I think the character herself was written really poorly. Like her motivation, just like, I, I I get that she wants to help people, but it just feels very, I don't know, over the top. Like she was criticizing Scott for not helping people enough. And it's like, he, he he was in an, an end game. He saved trillions of people, and uh, or like in the in the universe, right? And then, yeah, he's also been you know he he went to jail. The first time he went to jail was because he he wanted to give money back to people that were being robbed by a company, and like that was a very like I mean that's why he was picked to be Ant Man because he he usually has very selfless intentions despite mm-hmm. the fact that sometimes he, he could have been a lot more selfish, uh, which would have let him be with his daughter, you know? So yeah. it's like a, it's like a very weird arc for her, where she's inspiring. Her kind of arc is that she's inspiring people to fight, but she's not an inspirational figure in any way.
0: And I think, like, early on... They say they sort of establish that Scott Lang has been coasting off this book and just talking about all the cool stuff he did in the past. But like, the point of bringing that up is for us, the audience, to believe to to believe Catherine Newton when she says, "Like, you don't help people anymore. What have you done lately?" But like, the problem is that uh, those two years where he's been doing nothing aren't really well communicated. So when his family is like, oh, you don't help people anymore. I don't believe them because the last time that I saw Ant-Man was in Endgame. (laughs) And every time before that, like you said, he's always at least trying to do the right thing. So I have never seen him be an arrogant dick about the things that he'd done in the past and, you know, coasting on his success. So... You know, when the counter argument is that his daughter was at a nondescript protest, helping, quote unquote, and I say quote unquote, because this is the only description they're given, homeless people. It's like, okay, that's great. But we never see that. We don't know why she was there. We don't know why these people were homeless. We have zero context for any of this. But she is there helping homeless people. Therefore, she is a good person. Don't get me wrong. Helping homeless people is a good thing. But like this movie gives her the, it it gives her the task of like doing this thing that every single person would agree is a selfless act in order to avoid actually giving her a cause that she supports or a reason that she's trying to help people or any specific good guy characteristics she's just doing an unambiguously good thing that might also get her in jail
1: yeah yeah i i would have preferred if she was actually kind of a criminal i think that would have been good um, yeah because then that would that would have meant more of like oh scott like her, scott being kind of an absent parent might have had an effect on her and that's why he wishes he had more time with her is that he could try to fix fix his mistakes, I guess, or fix the time that he lost with her.
0: Well, or even if she'd had literally Scott Lang's character arc from the first movie, where she's kind of a criminal, but her heart's in the right place, like getting arrested for being at a protest isn't being a criminal, but your heart's in the right place. That's your heart is in the right place. And the police's heart is in the, be- is in the wrong place, which yeah. again, very few people are going to disagree with either of those. And like, okay. that's fine. But why make the new character who needs to have some kind of a character arc, just an unambiguously good, unflawed person?
1: Yeah. So I, I don't know the, I I guess they're trying, like, I think that's a problem with a lot of their young heroes right now is that a lot of them are just kind of there and they kind of do the right thing for no reason uh, that we've seen. And like, I feel like she was just kind of in this movie to set up a potential young Avengers thing, like in the future, as we've seen a lot of lately in Doctor Strange in Black Panther uh, and now in this movie. The only time I think it's really worked was with the Hawkeye.
0: Yeah, because she actually got a character, like she wasn't just introduced out of nowhere. Ironheart in Wakanda Forever didn't need to be there. Cassie Lang did need to be in this movie, but this movie is really, really weak. So like they didn't give her a lot to do either. I think that I'm I'm always very hesitant to blame the actors, especially when I don't know the actors very well, you know. I'm sure I will see Catherine Newton in other things, and I hope that she is very good in those. The script here gave her less than nothing, and I'm surprised I didn't completely hate her character going out. So, like, I would consider that a win, taking, (laughs) you know, negative one and turning it into two.
1: Yeah. (laughs) You
0: know, we want to go from, like, 50 to 100, but going from negative to a little bit positive is fine.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, I think... The rest of the ant family became really, really bad in this movie. Oh yeah, Michael Douglas looked so lost in this movie. I don't know if it's just because he's old now, because it's been like he's he's like eight years older than the first Ant Man, but like he just looked so lost and he just didn't really seem to care. Uh, he had a couple funny lines, <laughs> but he just seemed like he was there to go along with the ride. Uh, same and thing did you with like,
0: Hank Pym likes ants. Because this movie yeah. <laughs> will never let you forget it. Like it's, every time he's on screen, he's like, "I like ants. I just <laughs> like ants. Okay, I love ants. You guys seen some ants? I like those."
1: He, I, I guess, like it's it's like they forgot what made him kind of an interesting character in the first place, like, and they just were like, "He's he's the original Ant Man. We gotta remind people that. So let's let's make mm-hmm. him like ants." Uh,
0: so like. One of my
1: one of my favorite episodes of
0: What If, which is a series that has a lot of highs and lows. But one of my favorite episodes of What if is one episode where all the Avengers keep dying. and like, I think it's Maria Hill has to figure out Maria Hill and um, Nick Fury have to figure out why the Avengers keep dying uh, at pivotal moments. And in the end, it turns out it was Hank Pym. And like Hank Pym revealing his motivations at the end is, not as strong as it should be but that's the interesting side of hank pym make hank pym the guy who doesn't really like being a superhero because uh he's too full of himself and he wants to be the best that's that was what that's part of what's interesting about him not that he likes ants sure he's allowed to like <laughs> ants but that's not the cool part
1: yeah i mean I... if you go
0: into the comics hank pym is straight up a villain and like <laughs> you know i don't want necessarily this. i don't want the movies to be tied to comic hank pym like he doesn't have to be that guy because i know that's a really uncomfortable place for uh marvel to go but like it's more interesting than a guy whose name is hank pym and that's his character is that he has a name that you should know
1: yeah it's just i don't know it's really unfortunate that this is such a big character in the comics with a rich history and he's been reduced to liking it (laughs) and yeah i did kind of i thought the well the one time he made me laugh was that scene where he's driving the the goop car and he's just like i'll drive and (laughs) he puts his hand (laughs) in the thing that was actually pretty funny it was like it felt like like a like a family rom like road trip movie for a sec um and the dad's all of a sudden like driving the rv really quickly i don't know um mm-hmm. but yeah he like they should have just killed him off or something at this point like he did not know what he was doing here
0: or just like yeah. he
1: they could have just left him on the surface i thought it was so weird he didn't need to come to the quantum realm no i i think like just having ant like scott scott and hope down in the quantum realm would have been fine maybe like cassie too would have been cool too but yeah. Uh yeah, like I guess they had they brought him down because it felt like they they had to fulfill some contractual obligations or something. <laughs> um same thing with Janet, like Michelle Pfeiffer was just so boring in this movie. She's she's used as pure exposition and she doesn't really have any character in this. And, and the little character she does have doesn't make any sense because her whole character is basically I don't want to talk about this even though If she did talk about it, it could save their lives, essentially.
0: Janet Van Dyne is the most infuriating character in this movie because (laughs) she's not interesting enough to, like, care, but her entire character is an exposition dump, but she so aggressively avoids dumping exposition until she's forced to that, like, every single time she was on screen, I'm just like, just do the flashbacks say the thing get the plot going because if someone asks you what happened and you go i don't want to talk about it then there's no point to anything that's happening
1: yeah well i think that's partly why this the movie takes so long it's just that it's like she her not saying anything allowed a lot of this movie to happen but if she just said mm-hmm. one or two sentences early on in the movie, you could easily trim out like half this movie and you wouldn't lose a thing. Like super The entire
0: Bill Murray encounter, when they meet with Bill Murray, they meet with Bill Murray because Janet said so. And the result of their entire encounter is that they have stopped talking to Bill Murray. Nothing happens. (laughs) There's no reason to go there. Even the fact that they get attacked at the end of that encounter could have happened anywhere. It didn't, and Bill Murray doesn't do anything for the movie. Like they go and they have this meeting with a person who's important, apparently, and he's important because he's. They wanted to pay him for more than a cameo, I guess. Why is he there?
1: Yeah, it it felt like he was. Like, was he Kang's? Like he was a lieutenant for Kang or something, or did he switch sides?
0: He had been a rebel leader, and now he was not. A rebel anymore now he was either working for kang or thriving under kang
1: okay it wasn't 100 yeah. clear yeah but yeah that whole scene was just like we we realize that whole scene is basically telling us michelle pfeiffer or janet hasn't told a lot about her experience in the quantum realm to her family but we already knew that and the other half of what he was talking about was saying how he banged janet and Michael Douglas is kind of over there being like, "What, what? That's crazy!" Or something.
0: <laughs> He's like, "Hey, can we return to talking about ants?"
1: Yeah. <laughs> like it's so. It was such a weird, like a weird scene. I don't know. And and meanwhile, we have Ant Man and uh, Cassie talking to the rebels, who, like, don't really add anything to the movie either. Like they're they're kind of part of the plot. But a lot of all the rebels are just really weird people that I can't really see organizing a a, a freedom fighting force like they're a bunch of idiots this is the best way I can describe it
0: none of the rebels have any backstory that were ever told or any reason that they are rebelling they yeah. know that Kang is bad he is a conqueror and they probably have reasons for rebelling against him but the movie doesn't care to share with us. And it doesn't really care enough about the rebels to make them, to make any of them more than like a cheap joke. There's one rebel who's an alien who doesn't have holes. So he's fascinated by other people's holes. Why is he a rebel? Doesn't matter. He's the guy that talks about holes. There's one alien who's a, uh, who's a mind reader and he's played by William Jackson Harper. So I was very happy to see him, but like, he only exists to make mind reading jokes. Like he doesn't have any personality outside of that even.
1: Yeah, that that whole scene, like it was kind of a cute concept, but his character meant nothing. Like there was that that joke with Paul Redd where Paul Redd thought he looked stupid. And he's like, I can tell you think I'm stupid. He was like, no, there was that one, I guess there was that one joke where the guy's like, I'll die before talking. and, And he just reads his mind for the password or something. That was actually pretty funny. That would have that oh, would have yeah. been a good joke in a movie where the plot meant something and his character had some kind of character arc. But
0: or a really good joke in like a Rick and Morty episode where the character exists for a 3 second joke.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> this whole movie was just like a lot of like it, it it did really feel like a a Rick and Morty and very heavily inspired episode. I mean, probably due to the fact that it was written by a, a Rick and Morty writer. Um, was it? It was actually, yeah. uh oh, I thought you knew well, that. that I that's why sense. you referenced it. <laughs> no, <laughs> this is,
0: no, this is cool. Big, um, I know one of the writers is one of the writers for this is a Jimmy Kimmel writer.
1: Oh yeah, he went from like, Jimmy Kimmel literally. to Rick and Morty.
0: That's a uh, huge step up
1: to writing Avengers. He's all he's also slated to write Avengers: Kang Dynasty right now, which is extremely oh, worrying. So yeah, no <laughs> you can see, but yeah, like, uh, like looking at the writing, this, it, it really feels like an episode of TV in terms of they get, it's like they get into the second act. Like you said before, the, we don't get any, like, we don't get any establishment of life, Scott's life at the moment or the general feel of the world at the moment before they get thrown into the quantum realm. Like it felt like that yeah. intro was for an episode of TV where we already know all that stuff. And the goal of that episode, because it's 20 or 30 minutes long, is to get yourself into the scenario as quickly as possible to, uh, you know, make things, uh, you know, make things happen. Right. And that's what Mm I felt in, in terms of it's like the movie had like a five minute first act or maybe 10 minute first act. And then like the second act, you could say was like an hour and a half, and then it ends with like a 20 minute client third act. Yeah. Because it it felt this felt like a short, really short film expanded for no reason, I guess, other than Janet not wanting to talk about her experience. So those flaws really I mean, it's it's something I noticed, too, with like, if you look at Doctor Strange, I also felt the same about that, where like America Chavez comes into the plot like 10 minutes after we get an intro to Dr. Strange's life, which is basically like he was at the wedding of his his ex. And mm-hmm. we go right into the action after that. Um, that was also written by a Rick and Morty writer. And then I guess you could say this isn't a Rick and Morty, a TV writer, but I thought Thor Love and Thunder felt very, very similar, to, And I don't know why we're rushing through these first acts so quickly, because uh, I guess you could argue that we know a lot about Thor, so we don't need to establish Uh, or a lot about these heroes in general. So you don't have to establish that much, but like you lose so much context and any reason to care about these characters by basically eliminating that first act.
0: I mean, a big philosophy that I've had for a long time and like I've softened on it a bit. Personally, I don't think, I think that if I have to watch the first movie to understand the second movie, if, if a sequel can't stand alone at least a little bit, then I don't think it's a very good sequel. Like every sequel should also be a good movie. And I've softened on that a little bit because I've seen there's plenty of sequels where like you're lost if you haven't seen the first movie, but the sequel is still good. Yeah. But the point, the reason I'm bringing that up is like in a good movie, you have a first act that establishes what the world is like before you get into the second act. And that first act doesn't always have to be super long, but like, you miss a lot if you rush it. So in Thor Love and Thunder, when they like tell us where Thor is right now, but then immediately get into the action, it kind of I can't really connect that much to Thor because I don't care enough. Like I can't connect with him throughout the rest of the movie because I don't care enough about him in the first act where they're trying to establish him. Even though I know yeah. who Thor is. Like, you're not gonna surprise me with what's going on with Like I know Thor's backstory at this point. I've seen what, seven movies with him in it? Like, I get it. But also you still have to do that work to you have to approach it like you're creating a full story for this character. Even if it's not the first time this character's appeared.
1: Yeah. I, I wanna like also, like you said earlier, the pro a big problem was that there was no establishment of what they were talking about in the second act. Like with mm-hmm. if, if they establish that Scott has been really lazy and doesn't really he doesn't really care about saving people anymore. We could get a scene where Cat like we see that in action like maybe Scott's walking past like a fire or something and but he would rather go I don't know hang out with with uh Hope or something like that. And he says like Literally
0: one like- minute where Cassie is actively like protesting at like on behalf of homeless people and Scott walks by without noticing. That yeah just one minute and then you've established that Scott doesn't care and that Cassie does.
1: Yeah, exactly. And instead of that, we get this weird second act stuff where, where they're kind of establishing what should have happened in the first act through dialogue where she's telling us like, like you're not a hero anymore or something like that. But it's like, we never see that and we, we don't feel any recognition towards that. And also the movie would have saved a lot of money shooting the first act, like in the real world. Like, yeah, there's like no disadvantage to it at all. So I don't really know why it was structured this way, you know? So, yeah. And I, I like the, the other characters suffered. Like the last protagonist I want to talk about was Hope, where I loved Hope in the, the second movie. I thought she was a great superhero. Mm-hmm. And we haven't really seen her in the Avengers movie. So like the Ant-Man trilogy is like the only place where she really got to shine. She was completely used to like she, there was no reason she was supposed to be in this movie either. She had nothing to do. She was just kind of following her mom around, basically. She was
0: there to prod her mom to like tell some exposition, which her mom would as would aggressively avoid doing.
1: Yeah, and that, that like was without hope, a... there
0: would be no one to be like, "Mom, tell us what's going on." Yeah, because Hank Pam only wants to talk about ants.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, honest, it honestly felt like Hope had like five lines of dialogue. I can't remember anything she said other than that scene where she's kind of grossed out about hearing about her mom had sex with Bill Murray, essentially. Um, Yes, that happened. It's really weird. And that's really weird for like the title. One of the title characters to be that stripped back from everything. So
0: yeah, in the credits of this, this isn't really a spoiler because I'm about to tell you something about the title of the movie, but in the credits, when they like show the final, uh, when they show the title of the movie again, it says Ant-Man, and then like the the rest of the letters come in, and you, and I realized, because I just hadn't thought of it until that point, Quantumania, the word Quantumania has the letters Ant and Man in that order inside the word. And I thought uh, that was kind of neat. And I'm like, that's a really cool touch. But now the more I think about it, I'm like, oh, so that's like hope erasure. Like they don't, like it's Ant-Man <laughs> yeah. and the Wasp Quantumania. But just so you know, it's Ant-Man and the Wasp, Ant-Man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's uh it's kind of unfortunate that you know Marvel saying they're being such a so forward thinking with their female heroes somehow stripped one of one of their only ones back to like like minor character status.
0: And the two female heroes they introduce in this movie, well, kind of introduced janet van dyne was in the last one sort of but she wasn't like a huge huge presence the two that they introduce in this movie don't get anything to do cassie is written with you know nothing and uh janet is written to avoid doing anything
1: (laughs) yeah literally so i like that that was really disappointing is that all the all, all, basically all, all the all the ant family is just boring as hell. And also there's no three, I, I call them like the three amigos of the Ant-Man movies. We don't get any Luis or his two ex-con friends uh, who are a big part of what made the other movies enjoyable. We don't get mm-hmm. any of the stepmom or the mom and the stepdad dynamic, which I actually really, I thought that was a really wholesome part of Ant-Man and the Wasp too. And also the first one, I guess. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: We so it, we're stuck with them, and neither, none of them really stuck. Even Paul Rudd. I love Paul Rudd. He felt kind of off in this movie. I, I don't blame him I because agree. there wasn't really much to work with. And I think it felt like, I mean, a lot of the actors, it felt like they were just looking around a green screen and really trying to understand what they were looking at. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was like a weird... I don't know how to say it. Like he felt, he felt a little too happy at the start and the end. Like he was aggressively mm-hmm. like a joyful person. And then during the movie, he just felt very concerned all the time. Like,
0: yeah. Like when he got the opportunity at a joke, I felt like he, he killed it. Like all the jokes that he says aren't all good, but they all land. Cause he's got good comedic timing. He's a, he's a funny guy, but like, so much of the movie he's written to scowl and just be like, no, I gotta get out of here. I want to keep my daughter safe, which again, great for a character, I guess. Like it's great that his character motivation is keeping people safe, but like, I don't know. It takes like, he's got nothing else. He's just scowling and being angry sometimes. Yeah. And then other times gets like a funny joke once or twice, but like, he used to get a funny joke like three or four times.
1: Yeah. He he lost a lot of his charm, I'd say. And it, it wasn't really made up for in drama. I I, I did really like that. There's a he has a fist fight with Kang at one point in the movie. I actually really liked that scene. I thought that was a probably the the best part of the movie in my opinion, just because it was it felt very raw and it felt like both actors actually had a chance to act like with each other and engage. Mm-hmm in in any type of manner that and it didn't which didn't happen in any part of the movie and that was i thought that was really well acted by both jonathan majors and paul red um mm-hmm. but yeah everything else like there's that there's a scene where he's a giant he's he's mad at kang and he's in he's in giant man form and he's just kind of like you betrayed you lied to me kang um, you're not a man of your word and it was just like what is this dialogue this is terrible did you ever got, think he was yeah, and it was just like, Scott would never talk like this. This is such an odd, like, first of all, the dialogue was corny as hell. That's like something a f- five-year-old would say. And then also, like, it just felt very out of character for Scott out of nowhere. I don't know. It was mm-hmm. it was weird. Uh, So, yeah, I don't know. They, they, this movie was kind of saved by its villains. Not saved. I shouldn't say was saved. It? <laughs> it wasn't saved. It was made viewable by its villains, I would say.
0: I mean, it was made very interesting. I don't know if I liked the villains. Well, that's not true. I, I definitely... I Actually, I agree with you. I think the villains are the better part of this movie. I don't necessarily think that uh, all the villains are good, but I did really love Jonathan Majors in this. I've loved him in everything I've seen him in. And, like, I think he was making the absolute most out of the shit sandwich that is this script. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that, but like it's not good. And Kang was at least after seeing Jonathan Majors in this, like I think his performance in Loki is amazing and his performance in this did not make me want to see him any less as Kang. Like I still I was still watching this and I'm like I, I do like this guy. I like him a lot. I would like to see him again.
1: Yeah, he was... It was so weird. It, it felt like he was acting circles around... At least, like, Michelle Pfeiffer, honestly. <laughs> and whoever else... He, I guess he only really shared the screen with Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, I guess, like, Paul Rudd, too. I kind of liked his and Paul Rudd's dynamic. I think they were by far the best actors in this movie. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, Kang, like, he was. he was magnetic. I don't know why it took so long to put him in the movie in the first place because it felt like everything was leading towards him. He comes in, I want to say like an hour in, uh, Mm -hmm. but once he comes in, he doesn't like, it's, it's kind of already a third act. I want to say when he like finally arrives and he doesn't really do much. So yeah, it was like an odd thing for him to be the main villain due to how passive he was. But yeah, but like, I mean, acting wise, I thought he was great and I, Mm I, In some ways, I I think there was, there's a couple, I don't want to spoil any post-credit scenes, but we see him in a post-credit scene and it's, it's absolutely hilarious in probably the worst way possible.
0: So like, I, what I'll say is watching Jonathan Majors in this movie, I was like, I'm excited to see more of this villain. Seeing the post-credit scene, I was like, oh, I don't know about that
1: one. I am no longer excited to see more of this villain.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm still excited because I like Jonathan Majors as Kang, but the post-credit scene made me very worried for what the scripts are going to look like and what the stories are going to look like for the next for the next couple of movies. Yeah, for Which, sure. Which I mean, this movie should have without should have made me worried without post need for a post-credit scene, but still.
1: Yeah, yeah. I guess it's it's a good thing they have a good actor. Sort of. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm happy about God. that. Cause that's the only thing that could m- maybe really benefit these future Avengers movies.
0: Although based on based on the names of the next two Avengers movies, I am a little bit worried about how that's gonna work out because oh, yeah, for sure. it, to me to me it feels like I know roughly the stories that they're trying to adapt, and they're both stories that really shouldn't be rushed, and it feels like they're being rushed. And yeah. like we haven't even gotten there, and it feels like they're being rushed.
1: For sure, yeah. And also, his powers seemed a little—he felt he felt very overpowered at first, and then oddly underpowered for the finale. Which, I mean, I I feel like that's been a problem with Marvel movies before, but here it just felt especially odd, considering this is again supposed to be like King the Conqueror. He's he's the most powerful being in the multiverse from what we can tell and uh mm-hmm. he got defeated by a bunch of ants essentially so yeah i don't know i don't know what's going on there but i hope i hope he's made to be more of a better villain in the future power wise yeah yeah
0: i i hope he gets some very good writing because jonathan majors kills it even with bad writing but he'd be amazing with good writing
1: yeah just give him something to work with please and he'll do great yeah please Because so far he's had this movie where he didn't really have much to do and then Loki season one where he basically had to carry the the entire climax of that show to a 20 minute exposition scene that he somehow made kind of interesting to watch. And it it, it amazes me that he was able to do that.
0: Loki, for me, I liked the first couple of episodes of Loki and then it fell off really, really fast. But then it had also what I consider to be the most amazing ending in in the TV shows mm-hmm.
1: because, because of Jonathan Majors. <laughs> yeah, 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 which is crazy.
0: I was gonna say, do you want to talk about the uh, the head shaped elephant in the room?
1: Yeah, I was gonna mention that. Who are you talking about, Jeff?
0: <laughs> Modoc, which, if I'm remembering correctly, it's mechanized organism designed only for killing.
1: Yeah, you got it. Modoc. Modoc, who is i uh, I guess is it really a spoiler if we say who it is
0: i I know I have a lot of friends who get very touchy about Marvel spoilers, so like this is this is spoiler town we're going okay. to we're gonna do we're going spoilers. In. I don't think they're that bad, but like this is the spoiler warning right here all right, tell us about the mechanized organism designed only for killing pierre
1: uh so yeah he's he's darren cross on the first movie, which I actually really liked. I like that idea hmm I think. Modoc was probably the only if he felt like the only character that actually belonged in this movie yeah uh, and i say that in like a good way and a bad way i guess where he's just i actually like I, I honestly i really liked his character i thought he was so ridiculous and so weird that i mean like there's no other villain like him and like the 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 continuation of his, his grievances towards the Ant family I thought was like really funny and and kind of how pathetic he is in a way. I, 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 did, I wish they made him a little more dangerous and more of a mm-hmm. threat to the main characters because you know he's a mechanized organism <laughs> only designed for killing and I thought I, I wish we kind of made him more of we saw him more as like the second in command to Kang. We kind of just see mm-hmm. him he's there beside Kang in a couple scenes but He's not really seen as a someone with any power or respect, right? Which I guess is kind of the point, but yeah, I don't know. I I every time he was on screen, I I laughed in a good way. I think because it was just such a funny concept of a character in every way possible.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm really split on what I think think about him because you're right. He's a ridiculous character, honestly done pretty well, but also he was so freaking annoying. I hated his end his final scene so much. Because it like like the final scene look, none of the emotional beats in this movie really hit, but the final scene with Modoc almost had emotional beats, and then he's just like he's doing that classic like Marvel making a bunch of jokes instead of like actually letting anything have emotional resonance. And I'm like, dude, shut up, please. But most of the time. When he's around, I also thought he was really funny. Uh, There's one scene specifically where uh, Scott is like, he's in a probability realm or something. I can't remember what it was called, probability field. And like, he's got a radio where he can contact MODOK and he keeps saying, Daryl, Daryl, Daryl. But then when he says MODOK, MODOK's like, yeah, yeah, what's up? Yeah. (laughs) Like he just won't respond to Daryl, which I thought was really funny. Darren, Darren, that's what it was.
1: Yeah, the, I I loved how aggressive he really took that moniker seriously, and it like there was really no reason for it. Like, I don't know why you would want to be referred to as Modok, <laughs> but like apparently he like really liked it. and yeah, I, yeah that, that scene you're talking about the death scene or I guess yeah we're in spoilers right so it's fine.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's spoiler um time.
1: it was really sad in terms of like like this is like, a character who had a redemption arc from the first one he was. I think he was always a tragic character in that he seems like pim Particles made him insane and he was just kind of dealing mm-hmm. with his mental health right and then he only further went into mania once he got into the put into the quantum realm so I don't know it's just kind of cool to see that kind of come full circle the problem is is that he was still teased and made fun of when he was dying yeah but also that was probably the funniest part of the movie for me which is why like i'm conflicted with that too where like it felt like it felt like a really funny skit if you like look at it as like
0: yes. its own
1: thing and probably honestly one of the funniest things i've seen in a marvel movie like ever but if you actually look at him being in this movie it's just kind of ridiculous like his whole arc is basically he's the only character with an arc in this movie And his character Mm -hmm. arc is he's evil and insane. And then Cassie says, hey, you should stop being a dick. And he's like, oh, okay. And then he changes. And then he sacrifices himself to defeat Kang. But his, I feel like his sacrifice almost wasn't really needed. Like it was kind of like, it just kind of happens. Yeah. Oh, okay. And then the ant family makes fun of him while he dies. Which was like- Yeah,
0: it's like on its own as a scene, it's really funny and it really works in the context of his character arc. It robs him of like, like it just it just steals the end of the character arc. It makes it like like the whole thing should be coming full circle. And at the end, it's just like it just sort of it just sort of ends because they don't let it have they don't give it any gravity at the end.
1: Yeah, it was which so like I don't know, confusing. it doesn't
0: need to be. He, he doesn't need a dramatic arc at the end, like not a dramatic arc. He doesn't need like a big dramatic death scene, but like I don't know what it is that we got, I and mean, like, it just doesn't. It just doesn't work. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm so conflicted on that scene too, because you're right. I yeah. agree with everything you're saying.
1: I, I think the only reason I like it is that the rest of the movie is complete trash, so I just don't care. <laughs> I I I just I just gave up by that point. Like I was like this is not going to be a good movie. So I was like, appreciating each moment that I could find <laughs> as its own thing, really. Fair. Yeah. And which was unfortunate, so.
0: You know, actually, the, the more distance I have from it, the more like I I think I I've started like thinking back on it a little bit and I uh, definitely have decided on my favorite scene from the movie, which mm. I remember I didn't like in the moment, but the more I think about it, it's really funny, actually. Right at the end, in the epilogue, uh, Scott goes and buys a birthday cake for Cassie, who does not, her, her birthday is not anytime, anytime soon. Mm. But, like, he's buying a birthday cake to make up for lost time, which is, sounds like a funny joke, but, like, it's not even delivered as a joke, so I don't really get it. But anyway, he buys his birthday cake from his Baskin-Robbins manager. And the Baskin-Robbins manager, played by Greg Turkington, he points out that this is the first cake he's made since, like, 1997. And uh very last scene of the movie is Scott taking a bite of the cake and then going, oh, God! And then it goes to credits because it was a really bad cake.
1: Yeah, but it's like <laughs> it's such a bad joke, like...
0: Yeah, I know, but like, I don't. But the more distance I have from it, I'm like, wow, that that that's that's a nothing joke delivered with just like perfect comedic timing. But it doesn't. It only makes sense <laughs> later on. You got to think about it. It's a thinker. Yeah,
1: it's a thinker movie. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'd say like to sum it up, like the oh, I, okay, wait to sum it up, I would say that the movie is so bad and weird that I can't believe this was made by like the biggest media conglomerate on the planet um, and with a $200 million budget. But almost the fact that this was made by such a big company and is so bad is funny. And I kind of appreciate the movie because of that. The CGI, like, absolutely abhorrent. Like, this was, like, early 2000 CGI. Uh, the writing, like we said, is, like, completely juvenile. It, it felt like a 13-year-old was, like, was like writing some of the punchlines in this um the acting. Uh, sorry, was a, speaking was of terrible. the CGI. Oh yeah.
0: Sorry, speaking of the CGI really quick. Did you see this movie in 3D?
1: No, thank God.
0: Yeah, good. Uh I saw it in 3D, and the only thing that the 3D did was make the whole thing dark. So yeah. like not only did it not look good, I couldn't even see it very well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was very like I don't know why the quantum realm had to look so ugly. Like for such an imaginative place, like they chose a, a really bland color palette, I guess is the best yeah. way to describe it.:
0: Yeah, it reminded me of like Loki, if all the worlds had been lifeless instead of, yeah, you know, that, that was Loki's biggest strength is all the worlds had their own personality. There yeah. weren't that many of them, but they all like they all like felt real, where yeah. the quantum realm was a space desert. Until it didn't need to be a space desert anymore. Then it was a future realm.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like I can't believe the CGI was approved for this. It looked insanely bad. And I think that's part of like maybe and like the extensive use of green screen is I think what also really damaged the actor's ability to act in this thing. So, you know, like all of those things added up. It's just like I can't believe this movie exists and is the first movie, it was approved as the first movie of Phase Five, and for that reason, I I kind of enjoy it because of that. But it is it is probably like, I remember some people saying this was like like the the reviewers kind of overly trashed this. This is definitely like one of the worst Marvel movies. I think it's like I placed Thor Love and Thunder slightly below it because at least I enjoyed some of the jokes in this. Um, Thor Love and Thunder was like painful to watch so like this is slightly above it but they're both a completely trash movies
0: yeah i think like the the only thing that i will actually give thor love and thunder above this and this doesn't sound like a compliment but it actually is thor love and thunder is aggressively bad every scene of it is so painful to watch that like it was a chore sitting through it this movie I mean, I had to keep a lot of it in my head to like talk about it on this show, but I'm not going to remember this movie in three months. Thor, I'm never going to forget because of like (laughs) how bad it was. This movie is like, it feels kind to say it's really aggressively mediocre, but it's very forgettable. There's nothing interesting that happens in this movie, almost nothing interesting in this movie
1: yeah well i I think you could say about thor is that there was a good movie somewhere in there maybe maybe i think this movie was just doomed from the start like you'd have to completely like rewrite everything to get any semblance of of value from this movie so there's
0: barely so like if in if there was a good movie in thor somewhere there's barely a movie in quantumania like yeah what what happens in this movie We've yeah, talked exactly. about it extensively for over an hour. So clearly something, yeah. but like, it feels like such a nothing movie. Yeah. it, bear- it- Yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah. And for, I, I never thought we like get to the state of the Marvel unit, at least so quickly. Like it's, it's only been like three, three years about or three and a half years since Endgame, And, and then there was like a year break because of COVID and it's like, it's taken two years and look, look where we are now. Like it's, I was like I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed to watch this movie. Um, I think
0: I wrote in my review that I would have been embarrassed as a Marvel head to call this the start of phase 5. Yeah. Like this is an awful omen of things to come.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So I don't know. I I'm kind of ex- like I'm excited for Guardians of the Galaxy because I think that will be like it seems like a, it'll be like a good end to that trilogy at least and um, I, I I think the Guardians have like their their own corner of the Marvel universe that that won't be really be affected by the shittiness of the other movies in any way.
0: As you said, the trailer for this movie gave it a very interesting looking plot, actually, despite my thoughts on the trailer. I really hated that trailer. But you're yeah. right. It gave it like a very interesting potential plot uh, that it just didn't deliver on. So my point being. I don't want to put too much stake in trailers here. But Guardians 3 has a really good trailer and it gives it another plot that I'm very interested in seeing. So I hope that Guardians 3 will be very good for that reason cuz like you know it it already looks like a movie that I'm not just wanting to see because it's another Marvel movie. I want to mm. see it because it looks really good actually.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I I don't expect to gain much clarity on like the Marvel universe watching that movie I just want a good story I guess so
0: frankly if Kang is never mentioned in Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy 3 I'd be, be cool very,
1: with that I'll be very happy honestly yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so I'm excited for that on like in the future like for these next upcoming tv shows I, I'm probably just gonna wait for the tv show to come out and if I hear it's good I'll watch it and mm. I think I'll do the same for the movies like I I, I potentially like I could see them me not wanting to watch the Marvels in theaters if it gets really bad reviews again because i'm at a point where it's like i I don't want to watch another thor 11 thunder in theaters i can't like it's, it's just yeah, a waste of time fair. i don't get any enjoyment from it and it's the same with this movie where i think if i waited i i, I should have just i could have just read the plot on wikipedia and then watched it in like a couple months on disney plus and i i probably would have enjoyed my time better yeah so we'll we'll see uh Where we go in the future.
0: Yeah, I guess. Uh, Anyway, we will talk about another Marvel movie. Probably Guardians of the Galaxy 3, actually. Yeah, for sure. But, like, if you had to put a number out of 10 onto Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, which number would you
1: pick? I'd say, like, a 3.
0: Yeah, that's that's fair i can't remember what i gave thor love and thunder probably like a two or something and i think i might give ant-man like around the same i think it was equally bad just in a different way in a way that i enjoyed better actually but like not much
1: still bad (laughs) yeah 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 we are we are in the dark (laughs) we are in the dark days for sure but anyways uh what are we what are we watching next jeff
0: uh, next up, we are actually going to finish off our Oscar movies. We're going to finish the Best Picture. We took a quick break from talking about Oscar Best Picture nominees to talk about uh, something that you'll never hear about at an award show ever again. And now, next, we're going to talk about Tar and Women Talking. I believe that's going to be the next one. Very cool. So, you excited? I think you're really going to like Tar.
1: Yeah, I, I keep I keep hearing Tar is great, so. I'm uh, I'm excited.
0: Across two podcasts now, I'm I'm at least the second person to say you're really gonna like Tar. <laughs> right? It's probably yeah. the third time I've said it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I I think it'll be cool. I, this movie in general. I mean, this year in general has been great for Oscar nominees. I've been really happy with all of them so far. It's been a good bounce back from the past two or three years we've had.
0: I mean, as far as I'm concerned, this is one
1: of the strongest
0: years that I've like been following the Oscars.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: So like, I'm I'm very excited about like, and I was even gonna say, you know, not not nothing quite as strong as Parasite, but like everything, everywhere, all at once is as strong as Parasite. So I can't even really say that.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't know, like, I will we'll see once uh, I watch these last two movies, but I, I I can't. I think it'd be cool once I watch them all to like compare it to 2019 which i thought was the strongest year in my experience and kind of see how they how they compare but
0: yeah Mm -hmm. all right well what's our last word pierre ants ants